All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today by Brian Wells. Our main topic for today is recapping the NBA trade deadline with a flurry of noteworthy deals made in the final days. We'll also preview All-Star Weekend with the event gearing up to take place in Charlotte at the end of the week. In the quick hitter segment, we'll give our takes on some of the Major League Baseball's proposed rule changes that could go into effect in the coming seasons, including a universal designated hitter, a 20-second pitch clock, and putting a runner on second base to start extra innings. We'll also give our thoughts on troubled running back Kareem Hunt signing with the Cleveland Browns in Embrace Debate and learn about the brand new alliance of American football in WikiGeeks. And in honor of Valentine's Day, the two of us will count down our favorite romantic movies in today's Top 5. So no Ben today. Uh, he is on a vacation from He's Done It in beautiful Lansing, Michigan. Uh, so he he's up there for work and uh, has has just some other priorities. So it's just Brian and I today. Uh, the first time it's just the two of us, so it should be exciting. And we will start by talking NBA. And we're going to get into the All-Star Weekend that's coming up. Uh, we got the, the big game as well as all the other festivities in Charlotte this weekend. But before that, let's give a little recap on last week's trade deadline. And we're going to start things out by talking about a player who wasn't traded. And that is Anthony Davis, who, despite the many efforts of Magic Johnson and the Los Angeles Lakers, he is still a New Orleans Pelican, at least till the end of the season. Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious that the Pelicans are, uh, they want, I think they want Jason Tatum. And if, if they didn't, I think they would have made the trade by now with the Lakers. I mean, I don't think there are any other teams that can make better deals. I know that Anthony Davis has talked about uh, wanting to play not only uh, with the Lakers, but maybe possibly with the Knicks or the Bucks. And I mean, the Knicks don't have, I mean, they gave up their only franchise player in their system and the Bucks outside of Giannis, uh, they do have players like, uh, like Malcolm Brogdon, but they don't, I don't think they have, uh, the talent to match, um, you know, in a trade like with Boston or LA. Yeah. So the Celtics certainly seem like they have the best assets. And like you said, Jason Tatum is a prized possession. Uh, I think a lot of this was New Orleans just didn't want to make a deal with the Lakers, uh, especially with uh, all of the, uh, is it tampering, is it not tampering, Anthony Davis changing his agency to Clutch Sports and Rich Paul, the same guy who is LeBron James's agent. And I think that the the Lakers do have a little bit of a, a tempting offer, at least with New Orleans, um, knowing that the value somewhat gets diminished uh, in the, the offseason when teams only have one playoff run with Davis versus two, uh, regardless of whether or not Boston's 
assets are greater than those of the Lakers. But uh, I do think it's it's pretty funny that the the Pelicans seem to string along L.A. as much as they did and uh, almost stir things up in the locker room with with uh, all those young players who were being rumored to be in a trade and nothing happened. So that's uh, certainly good news for the Celtics that Davis is still a Pelican. Yeah, I think that the upcoming offseason is going to be the biggest offseason uh, for Danny Ainge because it's really uh, this offseason, I think that this will determine whether or not that they can create uh, a championship winning team or are they going to just go back to the middle of the pack or uh, have to rebuild again if Kyrie were to leave or not. And to be honest, I think uh, when the time comes, I think the only way they can get Davis is to trade Tatum. And I think they're going to need to because uh, if they don't get Davis, that likely means that Kyrie might not even stay because I think he looks at this roster and thinks that, man, that like, you know, Gordon Hayward, he's damaged goods, it looks like. And, uh, you know, he's had that all that drama uh, for the past couple of weeks with possibly leaving and joining LeBron and, with with uh with the Lakers or going to New York and doing his thing and you know coming back home and making movies and whatever, um so I this is gonna be a really interesting offseason for the Celtics because as of late they have yes they did win like nine out of ten games I think but the past couple of games versus the Lakers and the Clippers have really not looked good especially defensively I mean. The Celtics really have a massive, uh, massive leadership problem, I think. Uh, you know, Morris, after the Clippers game, called out, you know, the rest of the team telling him that, you know, the Celtics, like, it's just a bunch of individuals. And Yeah, the Celtics season certainly has not gone as great as a lot of people predicted. And going in, I, I was pretty hesitant to to say think that they were all of a sudden going to be like this this dominant team in the east that could compete with the warriors in the finals because when you look at last year's team that had so much success in the playoffs you had all these young guys who came in and they didn't have to deal with the the superstars in Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward uh, because they they could just lead themselves and it was a fun team to watch uh, you go back even the Isaiah Thomas teams were fun to watch but those teams could not they could not. Keep they couldn't win a championship with, with, in the yeah, with Isaiah Thomas. No, or, no, or they Bradley. couldn't. They certainly could not win a championship. They couldn't even get there. Uh, last year's team was they. They came close, but they couldn't win on the road, and they couldn't beat LeBron in Game Seven, even in Boston. And I think that a lot of those guys are the ones that they're going to need to move on from uh, in order to turn them into Anthony Davis. And there's going to be so much next offseason. Is can they really convince Kyrie to stay long term? Because he said that he wanted to before the season. Obviously, he was... Uh, it, so he, he chose not to sign a uh, long-term extension before because he'd be leaving money on the table. It'd be foolish of him from a financial perspective. Uh, but I think he he's realized that, yeah, he got kind of caught up in everything at the time. All, all the stuff in the media. He got just that, that run by the team. I thought is, oh, throw in Kyrie, throw in Hayward. They're going to be great. And things aren't looking so good. So... It's going to take Jason Tatum. It's going to take Gordon Hayward, Marcus Smart, multiple first-round picks. Maybe uh, is it Terry Rozier set to be a free agent? So I, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if he can be part yeah. of the deal if he's set to be a free agent. Yeah, it's, 
Marcus Morris is set to be a free agent, like you said, kind of the complaining um, lack of leadership there. And I don't know. I mean, you would think that a team with Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis can be a finals team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they're going to need more than that. And uh, I guess the, the question now is, do the Celtics want to commit to those guys long term when Anthony Davis doesn't even want to go to Boston, it seems like. He wants to, he lists all these teams. Yeah, he, he wants lists, to go to the Bucks the, over the Celtics. The, yeah, the Bucks over the Celtics. Like, other than Giannis, I don't know what, like, Milwaukee has an advantage over Boston. Yeah, and I mean, that's that, that's that's what it really comes down to there. Uh, but even for that small market team and that uh, his dad says he doesn't want Davis to play for the Celtics because of how they shipped IT out of town. Which is kind of a ridiculous point, given that Isaiah was, like, he's 5'9", and He's not even playing right now. But, and and Davis LeBron shipped player. him out of town just as quickly. Yeah. And that, this, that's where he wants to go. He wants to go play with LeBron. Now, obviously, he's not going to get that same kind of treatment from uh, LeBron being that Anthony Davis is a top top five player in the NBA, arguably. Right. Um, yeah, I so I think. So, yeah, when when Gordon Hayward got injured in that first game last year versus Cleveland, like. You know, people talked about how it actually could be a blessing in disguise and that, you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Tara Rozier, well, especially Brown and Tatum, uh, could develop even more into, you know, better players, you know, uh, quicker than expected, given that they were, you know, had to handle 30 plus minutes a game with the Hayward injury. But it honestly could be like, it, it could end up, you know, hitting him in the face with like, how that now that all of them want the 30 plus minutes a game and that they have to split up these minutes now thinking that, mm-hmm. you know, after getting the game seven of the East finals that now they, you know, accomplished everything, but they haven't really done that much. You know, the egos of like, you know, Terry Ozier, like marketing the scary Terry shirts. And, you know, there have been reports out there lately that Tatum, you know, wouldn't even mind going to the Pelicans and being, you know, being the guy and, you know, it seems like the younger guys, especially, they don't really care that much about winning, or they care more about the opportunities more than um, more than winning championships themselves. Um, and you know, I think Jalen Brown has been—he's been really in the center of all of like all of you know the bad riffs that they've had this year. And uh, you know, with you know, he went on that CJ McCollum podcast about how like, oh yeah, there's no doubt that we're going to the finals. And, you know, he had that Bleacher Report interview about how he's going to, you know, he wants to win six rings in like the next eight years. And when there are guys like LeBron in this league, who have only won three in their whole career. And uh, I remember that draft when uh, it was Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram at the top and the Celtics had the third pick, and I remember thinking, you know, uh, let, let me get this out of the way. Like, I'm not a huge college basketball fan. I'm just like anyone else when it comes to college basketball, where I don't watch it until the tournament starts. So I don't really, really know in depth about any of the players outside of the, you know, the top guys. And so when they drafted Jalen Brown, I wasn't like thrilled or unhappy. I'm, I was kind of like, let's see how this goes. And you know, he was you know, decent in his first year. He was definitely great in his, uh, definitely great last year, but I don't know this year he's been kind of annoying. And, um, I, I think that they should trade him after the season. If, you know, if he doesn't, you know, get humbled a little bit more and, you know, 
you know, calm down the expectations a little bit. You know, he's been in shoving matches with with Morris and Marcus Smart uh, throughout the past couple of years. So I think he's he's been, you know, there have been, you could point the finger at, at anybody, but I think especially Jalen for sure. So I think Brown would benefit from other guys leaving town. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, he's not going to be no, the same as Anthony Davis trade. If, if they can move Tatum and move um, Gordon Hayward and you can open up that, that role for Jalen Brown to be like the third or fourth guy rather than having him relegated to coming off the bench. Uh, I think he's shown that he can succeed like he did last year. The only issue I have with that is that I don't know if Gordon Hayward can even be traded now. Like he, he see like, cause he's the sixth highest paid player in the, in the entire league. And he's barely averaging like 10 points per game coming off the bench. And he really hasn't looked good this year outside of, you know, a couple of games where he's, gone off for 30 I think when he had like a 30 point game versus Minnesota a month ago but you know outside of a couple games he's he's of course like understandably after a horrible injury like that but uh, you know outside the couple games he's really hasn't looked good this year so how much of it is that these guys just aren't the Warriors they're not there's no Draymond Green who can be content only scoring six points a game as long as he can, you know, he can you know, do his thing get on get ten rebounds and, and fifteen assists. And yeah, whatever. how much? There's there's no Clay Thompson. There's no guy who can just catch and shoot and not even have to dribble and still put up points. Like Thompson doesn't need to be a ball dominant guy. And then from there, it's just Curry and Durant playing together. Right. So uh, I think that's like and that's of course the, Boogie Cousins thrown in the mix. I mean, but, yeah, that's just the issue with the league. I mean. Say what I, say what you want about the Celtics right now. They're they're my opinion, probably most people's opinions, the second most talented team in the league. But the Warriors are just like toying with everybody, like for all these years, and especially with Durant there now. I mean, I don't even know how like any. I mean, I guess if the Celtics can turn it around, I think they they're probably the only team that could compete with them. I mean, maybe Toronto, but I don't know. I don't. I like. I don't like. Uh, you know, Kawhi's chances versus, you know, that's, you know, whole starting lineup that, or really just anyone's chances versus Golden State, really. Well, so the the, the Celtics kind of, their, their issues are the reason why they're looking up to a lot of teams in the East. And those teams that they're looking up to made moves at the deadline. Uh, mm-hmm. It's Milwaukee went ahead and traded for Nikola Mirotic of the Pelicans. You had Toronto picked up Marcus Gasol from the Grizzlies and Philadelphia in what I consider the biggest move of the deadline got Tobias Harris from the Clippers so those three teams you already had Milwaukee and Toronto starting to separate I think Philly is starting to separate themselves as at least the third best team if not moving up into the same realm as Milwaukee and Toronto and those three teams they added some legitimate pieces that can help them moving forward. And I don't know if they're going to be able to upend Golden State in the finals, but I think that makes some legitimate teams uh, so, as we, we enter the Eastern Conference playoffs. So, yeah, I, I think that it's going to be Milwaukee, Toronto, Philly, and Boston, like all in the second round. And um, you kind of stole my thunder there saying that I think Tobias Tobias Harris was probably the best move out of the the three at Milwaukee, Toronto, and Philly made. Like, you know, Meritich is a good player, of course. Uh, and I'm not sure how much Marcus Gasol, how big of an improvement he is over Jonas Valanciunas. I mean, it's, especially at this point in his career, like he's 33, 34 years old. And, uh, you know, he's, he can still rebound, of course. He can still pass. So I'm, I, he's def- it's definitely an improvement. I just don't know how 
much of an improvement in his over Valanciunas. And, but Tobias Harris, I mean, for Philly to get another shooter outside of J.J. Redick uh, and for a veteran guy to, you know, help, you know, the young squad of, you know, Embiid and Simmons and, and you know, Jimmy Butler, of course, uh, I I think it's I think it's huge for not only, you know, shooting wise, but also for gives them a veteran presence. Yeah, so with with uh Toronto, you're adding you're, you're all in. Uh, they've known that throughout the season yeah. uh when they, I was, they went ahead and traded for Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, I was and, for that move when they traded uh DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard. I mean, what they had with Larry and DeRozan for like all those years of just getting beat by LeBron. It's like, you know, take a take a shot on Kawhi and you know, see if you can go the Paul George route and see if you can actually stay. I mean, maybe it's it's likely not, and he probably still wants to be in LA, whether it fits with the Lakers or Clippers. But I mean, you know, just you know, give it a shot, see if you can make the finals or not, especially with no LeBron in the race anymore. So far, it's worked out pretty well for them, and adding Gasol just gives them another piece. And I don't know how everything's going to play out with their lineup long term. They they were having Gasol coming off the bench early on. Uh, you got to get some moving parts there with uh, Serge Ibaka, who's their current center. Do you slide him to the four? Do you put him to the bench? If not, you got Pascal Siakam, you got Danny Green. Someone's going to have to lose some minutes to Gasol uh, and lose a, a starting spot, or Gasol's going to come off the bench. You're talking about a guy who's had a lot of playoff experience with Memphis. I think that's a solid move for them. And Miritich was a steal for Milwaukee. They didn't even have to give up a first-round pick for him. They were giving up, uh, I think a couple second rounders, a couple guys who weren't really big in their rotation. So uh, I think the Bucks picking up Miritich, those are two solid moves, but Tobias Harris puts Philly on another level. Going into the season, I wasn't very big on the Sixers. Uh, I know that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid look, look like young stars, and they're going to get there. Uh, but in terms of what they did in the playoffs last year, I, I, I wasn't a huge fan of them. But adding Jimmy Butler and adding Tobias Harris – complimenting uh jj reddick is the, the the big veteran the the fifth guy and that's a that's a starting five that can compete with anybody and put some at least in the conversation with golden state i wouldn't go that the, far the I best mean, starting five i don't even it's, know if it, i would it's put... certainly not better than them but right i, I just i i just don't take two? i just don't take philly as seriously as other people it's just because you know a lot of it has to do with you know they're not as you know coached as well as other teams and uh and you know jimmy butler of course is an improvement but i still i still hate how selfish of a player he is um you know calling out um any you know any team he's or coach he's been with and you know asking for the ball a lot and uh, so i've never been a huge fan of jimmy butler um you know and ben simmons he still can't shoot even though he's he doesn't need to tobias harris can shoot i know that's that's what (laughs) that's that's what hurts uh I think for, you know, in terms of being a Celtics fan, like I think yeah. Tobias Harris does really help that team for this year. Yeah, and I, I, I'm willing to acknowledge that. I, I'm not going to go as far as to say that this makes the Sixers the favorite in the East. Uh, they've they've only played two it, games. It makes them a lot this better. This fantastic I, five I, I looked take great against s- Denver and the Lakers. Yeah, it, I definitely take them more It makes them a serious, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think, I, I don't know. Um, last year in the playoffs, the, they weren't impressive the the Celtics pretty much had their way with them but I think Milwaukee and Toronto are two teams that they're playing really well in the regular season but we've seen a lot of Eastern Conference teams who are fairly similar to them play well in the regular season and they got 
overshadowed by LeBron James. LeBron's gone, but this Philly team almost kind of feels like the same kind of dynamic of they have have all these like all-star superstar players on the team now. And I'm I'm curious to see if they can keep this up long term in the sense can they bring back Butler and Harris? Is this going to be a a five starting five or at least the four Reddick's old uh, that they can build around long term but I think it makes the Sixers dangerous now and it makes them very dangerous long term uh, picking up Harris here and yeah, I, I guess to kind of oh no 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 that's it yeah. I was just saying I yeah so just I mean, so the transition so the, the Sixers were coming the, this whole trust the process and it, it took them a long time there was a, a lot of losing a lot of high draft picks but they got to this point and on trade deadline day the process officially ended because they went ahead and traded former number one overall pick Markel Fultz to the Orlando Magic. And now Philly's all in. They are totally in the win now mode. They are not at the point where they're looking ahead to the future anymore. They said, hey, Fultz does not fit this this team. We're not going to hold out for this guy. We are ready to win now. And they moved him to Orlando for so they got a first-round pick, but it's Oklahoma City's 2020 first-round pick. And the Thunder, they're probably going to be a top-five team in the West again next year. Right. And Jonathan Simmons, is he's probably not even a rotation player in Philly. That's a, the one he, player they got he, back. He, so He's a jag, but he was a solid bench player in San Antonio. Yeah, so for Fultz now, this is really just a, a new start opportunity for him in Orlando. So he hasn't played since November 19th. He's only played 33 games with the Sixers in a year and a half. And his numbers haven't been all that spectacular. Seven points, three assists, three rebounds a game. But I don't know. He's going to a situation in Orlando. They need a point guard. I think that this is a, a welcoming it's a, it's move a, it's for, a, it's for a, that It's a new team. beginning for him, yeah. Um, yeah, and the, the know, Magic have certain they've been awful since trading Dwight <laughs> Howard. So they could they could use a spark. They could use they Marco Fultz to prove why he was the number one overall pick. They could use an NBA player. <laughs> Yes, yeah, and I mean this year they're they're all in on the well, they're mostly in on the playoffs. They don't really they they they've I wouldn't necessarily say they've been tanking. They just haven't been good at putting together an NBA team in no. recent years. It's been and, basically just Vucevic and uh, like uh, and Alfred Payton for a couple of years. And, yeah, like, I don't yeah, even, like, yeah. He's <laughs> they, Aaron uh, Gordon. Aaron Gordon, yeah. Like, but they have. Yeah, really... he's he's someone who does not not totally fitting their their timeline. Vucevic is he's a, set to be a free agent. They drafted Mo Bamba. They are going to want Mo Bamba to be their starting center, not Vucevic moving forward. So I think that this is a team. Hey, they they got a new head coach in Steve Clifford who had a little bit of success in Charlotte. So I think they're they're fully committed to that eight seed right now. I don't know if Fultz is going to help them get there this year. There's question marks, um, you know, going back to last month from the 76ers, not knowing whether he'd play again this season. But in terms of just long-term, I think it's a great great move for the Magic to at least take a chance on this guy and say, hey, we're we're serious about getting back to a playoff team. And Fultz could turn out to be a superstar. He was drafted to be one. Yeah. So it, see, the thing is, if I were if I was the Philly GM, like I understand the move. Or, wait, what? Elton Brand, Philly GM. Oh right. <laughs> yeah. Not okay. If I was the former uh, Philly GM that drafted Fultz, and like I don't know if I would have made the move. Well, I guess Elton Brand now, but I don't know if I would have made the move just because, like, hey, I want to see if this guy can develop or not because he was the number one overall pick just a couple of years ago. 
But at the same time, like, they just, they probably got tired of winning just because, like you said, they're in a win now. A win ben now Simmons, he, he can be their point guard moving Yeah, forward. and Ben Simmons can be the point guard, even though he's, like, 6-9. Yeah. So, so I, I do remember I was very upset when the Celtics traded the number one overall pick because I wanted them to draft Markel Fultz and then let Isaiah Thomas walk in free agency and give Fultz the reins. Uh, but Jason Tatum has worked out. He's been a little bit better, better than yeah. Fultz. So, <laughs> so I, I, I think that the Celtics, at least based on the first two years, have, have absolutely won that that draft trade. See, the thing is, I was actually uh, fine with that trade, but I was. I, I really wanted Tatum, but I was really, really worried that they wanted Josh Jackson. And if that happened, then I would have just, I would have absolutely hated the trade. But because they got Tatum, I'm not, I'm not going to say that I predicted the future and I thought Jason Tatum would be this amazing, you know, near superstar already in like year two or whatever. But I did like him the most out of the, uh, out of the four players that were drafted on the top four. One, because I did not like Josh Jackson. He's, he doesn't have a high Q on or off the floor. And then Lonzo Ball, I just I hated his dad. And he, like, I would just, yeah. and I hate his shot. And I, I, I just wouldn't have liked it. But so Mark L. Fultz probably would have been the second guy I would have liked out of the four of them. And the the fact that Anthony Davis is still in New Orleans does kind of tell you that the Pelicans are also pretty fond of Jason Tatum compared to some of those other guys. Right. So... Uh, another trade, the the last one we're going to talk about, this happened a week before the deadline, and that was the New York Knicks trading the unicorn Chris Sops Porzingis to the Dallas Mavericks. And in some ways, you can look at this and say, hey, this is the Knicks clearing some cap space. They're, they're making a move to try to get two free agents. They're going to pull in Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving in the offseason, and everyone's going to forget about Porzingis. But on the other hand, you can say Porzingis is the biggest star the Knicks have had in he, a while. He, he's the only uh, draw, maybe the exception like, of Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, he was he was the star, and he got hurt, and things kind of fell off for him. There was a yeah. lot of dysfunction uh, between him and the organization, and this just it feels like a sorry move for New York, and it just kind of shows. Outside of being in the bright lights, yeah, like outside of being in the bright lights, like of New York City, like Porzingis was the only draw to that team. I mean, maybe, maybe Coach Fisdale and you know take that for data as like you know as the cool coach. But I mean, other than that, like I don't know what really draws uh, the players. I mean, but players are still interested in going. Like Kyrie's definitely interested, and Anthony Davis, and <laughs> maybe just Durant. Blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah, so they they've lost like seventeen in a row. This team is a, a horrible right now, and they're going to get Zion in the forty-six. Well, if they get the number one, pick, it's yeah, it's if, likely. We'll see how the lottery well, first goes. First of all, yeah. I think they, in terms of record, they're on pace to be like they're on pace to have the worst record. But also, yeah. I'm sure the NBA yeah. will make sure that uh, they get the number one pick <laughs> they, and get they Zion. end up with yeah. him. Yeah, and that that would be interesting because. Um, if Zion is, he's considered one of the, the bigger trade chips when it comes to Anthony Davis, uh, depending on what team lands that number one pick or number two pick. Uh, we'll see how things play out with um, RJ Britt, Barrett and John Morant still up there. But the idea is that, yeah, Zion Williamson or really any of those guys could be end up in New Orleans as uh, a big, big trade chip for Anthony Davis. So I do. I uh, also do like this move for Dallas because, you know, they could uh build their team around Porzingis and Luka Doncic, you know, kind of like what they did when they had uh, Dirk, not only Dirk, of course, but uh, but also when they had the combo of him and Steve Nash 
a long time ago. So Yeah, so the idea of pairing Porzingis and Doncic definitely sounds like an exciting team. Right. Now there's some questions if, if Chris Sops is even going to play this season. He's not, I don't think he will. I've, I've heard reports that they're going to shut him down, but... Yeah, and going going into yet. the season, there was a the thought that he wouldn't because he I think he tore his ACL in January. Mm-hmm. So at this point, it's been more than a year. Mm-hmm. But the Knicks weren't – they're totally out of it. They have no incentive to bring him on and have him help them win. And, uh, and it's not like Dallas their, is going to go deep and, in Yeah, the Dallas is – yeah, they're not – no, they're, they're, they're outside of the playoff range. They're kind of yeah. on that borderline where they could still maybe, if, if things go well in the second half, get in. But they're also – they could continue to struggle and potentially end up with a top five pick. And Mark Cuban so, has openly talked about in years past that, like, yeah, we, we, we you know, encourage tanking, so – yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sure that I, they're not going to try to get in the playoffs and you know just no, go throughout just the season. No, there's just really the question: can they can they keep Porzingis long term? So they they traded Dennis Smith Jr., who fell out of favor because of um, Luka Doncic, but he was really good his rookie year, and it's it's interesting that he ends up going to the Knicks because they took yeah Frank they took they, they, yeah they same took Frank position Nick, one Nikola, pick right? <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, it just it, it just seems like an all around kind of weird move for the Knicks. Uh, if you ignore the the whole open up salary cap, maybe they're gonna pull in a couple prize free agents. But because if they don't do that, then <laughs> I, if they can't get Durant and Kyrie, who are they gonna get? When are they gonna get these guys? And I, you I get feel a like point to their owner, James Dolan. Like <laughs> I, I feel like that's the reason why they got rid of Porzingis because. Of course, they want to you know try to get not only one, but I think they have a few things up their sleeve. Whether if it's getting Durant or or Kyrie or you know whomever it is that you know wants to go to New York. Yeah, so we'll see how that plays out for the Knicks. Uh, could be looking at it a lot differently in July, but right now that team is not looking very good. No. So the uh, the first half is wrapping up. So let's talk a little bit about NBA All Star Weekend. So you got a fun-filled weekend. You got a lot of events, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Charlotte. And this year, so this is the second year where they've done a draft. So Team LeBron, Team Giannis, the two leading vote-getters, they drafted their team from both the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. We got 13 players per team. And this year the draft was televised, which is uh, a little entertaining because... LeBron decided to pick basically every single player who is set to be a free agent, plus Anthony Davis. Uh, so a lot of guys who could be on the move this offseason. And Giannis actually accused him of tampering during the draft. So uh, pretty comical for people who aren't fans of LeBron and the Lakers from that perspective. Can you even like accuse LeBron of tampering when you take Chris Middleton as your first bench player? <laughs> They're teammates. He has to. I mean, I, mean, I guess, you don't need I mean, to take at the same time, first. I get I, some of the idea. I, I feel yeah. like if you left him like at the end of the draft, he'd still get him. Yeah, looking at the re- well, looking at the also, rest of the oh. rosters. Yeah, so I mean, in terms of the rosters, I think that Team LeBron is is stacked. They have he got so he took Kevin Durant with the first pick. Giannis took Steph Curry, but LeBron has Kawhi, Kyrie. James Harden, um, Anthony Davis. Yeah, oh my James God. Harden. Yeah, he actually. So he had James Harden and Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, but then traded Westbrook for Ben Simmons because he's a big Ben Simmons guy. Uh, so yeah, that's it. 
it seems like on paper LeBron's team is a little better. But the game itself, that's that's one of my least interesting things about All-Star Weekend. It's it's all about just like the celebrity and like the fanfare of the game rather than the game itself. Yeah, because every game is defense. 170 we, to, you know, 160. Yeah, right? we, we talked worse. about... Yeah. Yeah, and we, we talked about All-Star Games a, a few weeks ago, so we're not going to go into the game itself, but uh, there, there are some other events. Starts Friday night with the Celebrity Game. So this year has actually been of an interesting format. So they're basically doing a home team and an away team, and the home team is filled with celebrities who are from North and South Carolina. Uh, and both teams also have like a hometown hero, a guy. So one of the teams has a guy who helped rescue people who were stuck uh, in New Bern, North Carolina, following the uh, the Hurricane Florence uh, at back at the the end of 2018 in, in September. And on the other side, you have the guy who tackled the assailant in the Nashville Waffle House shooting. So I think that's pretty cool that you got these two guys getting to play in the celebrity game. Uh, but on the flip side, so the the Carolina team has just a note where the guys I wrote down, you know, Chris Daughtry, Dr. Oz, Steve Smith, former Panthers wide receiver, Asia Wilson, former Gamecock, Jay Williams, and they're coached by Don Staley, who's the head coach of South Carolina. So I, I'm certainly a little, little more partial to that team. The other side, you got Ronnie 2K, Ray Allen, Mark Lazary, who's the Bucks owner, Quavo, uh, they're coached by Sue Bird uh, of the Seattle Storm in the WNBA. So the celebrity game is always entertaining, seeing some of these celebrities play basketball, figure out who's actually good, who's not. Um, I, I remember last yeah. year in the uh, Celebrity All-Star game, uh, Bubba Watson, who's a member of the PGA, he was playing in the Genesis Open at the time, and he was leading the tournament going into – Sunday, but on Saturday night he went to the celebrity All Star game and actually played, and then went back uh, to the Genesis Open on Sunday and won the tournament. Like, wow, <laughs> playing a basketball <laughs> playing a basketball game before the final round of any golf tournament. That's amazing. Yeah, what a, what a weekend. Yeah, yeah, uh, and then you have the uh, the Friday night after the celebrity game, they do the Rising Stars Challenge, rookies and sophomores, Team USA versus Team World. It's actually interesting. You have uh, Kyrie Irving and Dirk Nowitzki are coaching the teams, so that that should be kind of entertaining. Um, but that's that's not usually one that I tune into late Friday night. I uh, generally have other things, better things to do. So we got the, the three... Um, skills competitions on saturday so you got the skills challenge so it's just basically an obstacle course dribbling passing shooting um so you got two different sides to it you have the guards and you have the big men so mike conley luka Doncic, De'Aaron fox nikola Jokic, kyle kuzma jason tatum nikola vucevic and trey young competing in this one my personal prediction i'm going with De'Aaron fox for the winner who you got brian I will go with also De'Aaron Fox. Huh. Yeah, so I, I think Jason Tatum would be would end up winning on the uh, big man side, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know. Maybe I, I'm just kind of sleeping on uh, some of those guys' the, ability the, to. The Kings have been good. Uh, well, I don't want to say you know good this year. I mean, they, I don't know if they'll make they the playoffs. Like they but could be they, a playoff yeah, team. the the Celtics draft pick uh, from the Kings uh, is probably not going to be as good as that they have hoped uh, this no because they've actually have underrated talent with you know marvin bagley being drafted second overall and buddy healed 
uh, in that trade mm-hmm. cousins and, and again, deer and Fox and Willie Colley Colley Stein and so on. So the, the Kings do have, have had a, you know, pretty decent year and yeah. And De'Aaron Fox is definitely a big part of that. They haven't made the playoffs since 2006. It'll certainly see, be cool if they were to get in, especially if it's over LeBron and the Lakers. So the NBA probably won't, con- they'll probably yeah. make sure that LeBron gets in and you know, he gets the one, a matchup with golden state. And they'll probably get swept. <laughs> we have Devin Booker, Seth Curry and Stephen Curry play, are competing in the event in their hometown of Charlotte. You also have Danny Green, Joe Harris, Buddy Heald, Damian Lillard, Chris Middleton, Dirk Nowitzki, and likely his final All-Star weekend, and Kemba Walker. So I'm going a little bit of a, a sleeper, and I'm going to say Seth Curry <laughs> wins it in his All hometown. All right, so for me, I think it'd be way too easy just to pick Steph. Uh, but that doesn't mean I'm going to pick Seth, though. Yeah. I... I know I just mentioned this, but I will take another Sacramento Kings player. I will take Buddy Heald. He's been one of the top, uh, all right, you know, three point shooters. Whether it's you know percentage wise or, um, you know, made made three pointers. I mean, I think I think he's only behind Harden and and Steph and a couple other guys. Like so, he's around that top five, top ten range um, in terms of three point shooting this year. And so I think he's a. I don't want to say sneaky choice because he was. You know, he got a lot of hype when he was in college at Oklahoma um, throughout the entire year. But in the NBA, especially playing in Sacramento, like I think he is um, a little, a little bit of a sleeper. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. No. I. I. I, I would think if my my backup would probably be like Damian Lillard or maybe Chris Middleton. Mm-hmm. It would be cool to see Dirk win, but. Yeah, I don't know there's, how there's I don't know guys, how much Dirk so let's, let's has left in the tank. I remember watching the Celtics Mavericks end of the Celtics Mavericks game, and Dirk was just like <laughs> he was just like throwing up everything. Could he couldn't make score. anything. Like yeah. you could tell, it's definitely no. uh, almost over. And like that's when you, that's what makes you feel old when you see guys even watching for you know fifteen twenty years just you know start to fade and and not look good at the end. Like, that's when you know yep. you feel old. Yep. So, and then our, our final uh, competition on Saturday, the slam dunk contest, Miles Bridges, John Collins, Hamadou Diallo, and Dennis Smith Jr. I'm going to go with Miles Bridges to win this one, the rookie from the Hornets. I will go with Dennis Smith Jr. since he's literally the only one that I sort of know about dunking. <laughs> like, I mean, I think, I, I mean, I'm guessing Miles Bridges is is probably a good choice as well, but like I don't even I, I first of all I don't even know who who was that that guy the other guy you mentioned that like, I can't even pronounce his Hamidou name. Hamadou Diallo. Okay, yeah, I don't even know thunder. who that is. I'm not gonna lie, I don't know who that is. <laughs> so I can't even pick him. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go with Dennis Mitchell. Yeah, the, the slam dunk contest has definitely been disappointing in recent years. So I'm hoping that someone can bring some kind of entertainment this year. I mean, I love that one year where it was all about. Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine, they were just killing it a few years ago in the slam dunk contest. But I don't know. Outside of that one and the Dwight Howard. <laughs> Dwight Howard. Uh, uh, the Dwight Howard. Dwight Robinson. The Superman. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like with the cape. Like outside of that. Yeah. Uh, the slam dunk contest has been slightly disappointing throughout the years. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's it for our NBA talk. So now let's let's move on to our quick hitter segment. And uh, fittingly, we're talking baseball. And the 
MLB has some proposed rule changes, so some on the MLB player side, some on the league side. So we're going to go through, just talk about some of the proposed changes, give our takes on them. I don't know if we're going to see any of them in 2019, maybe 2020, maybe a lot longer. There's some that Rob Manfred has already said, hey, we're not going to see these for a little while. So I think the CBA is set to end after 2021. So it's, it's possible some of these will have to wait until then. But let's uh, go down. And the first one we'll talk about is the universal designated hitter. And Brian, I think I know how you feel about this one. Uh, yeah, I want a designated hitter in both leagues. Uh, I just hate watching pitchers going up there trying to bat when pretty much like 99% of them can barely hit over 100 and they just bunt uh, and then, you know, sacrifice bunt and then just get out. And uh, outside of like Madison Bumgarner, a couple other guys, like none of them can hit. And the biggest reason why I want this to be changed is because I just hate that there are two different rule. There are different rules in different leagues. Like it should just be the same in throughout any you know any league or or team. Like I I don't want. <laughs> I would hate it if if that was the case in other sports. Like I wouldn't. I, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I just hate it. Yeah, it it feels like one of the more antique rules in all of sports because. Major League Baseball just wants so badly to have a difference between the American League and the National League, and that's the only reason why we don't have a universal DH yet. But you know, I, I have a team in both leagues, a Pirates in the National League, so I, I get to experience that pitcher's batting. And, I mean, there's a little bit of a pro when you're you're a pitcher and you basically have one out of nine guys you're guaranteed to get out almost every single time. Uh, but it, it adds a little bit of wonkiness from that perspective. You have pitchers are getting pulled early because hitters need to come in and you can't can't afford to leave a pitcher in long term because in the seventh inning, you're like, hey, we got to get a pinch hitter up here. And you always end up with the, the double switch and the lineups get all out of whack and uh, it's just I, I way too. It's that, just way yeah. too much. I, yeah, I just, it's it's time for the NL to adopt the DH. Rob Manfred says this isn't going to happen for a little while, though, which is a little unfortunate. Um, I do think that it's only a matter of time, though, and well, we should be seeing. It's, a, it's also a matter only a matter of time when Bryce Harper and Manny Machado get signed. <laughs> but no, they you know no. they have to wait till the last minute too. Yeah. Yeah. Just like. Just like everything else in baseball. Yeah. All right. So the the next next couple are an effort to speed up the game, and uh, those involve the pitching side of things. So the first one, a twenty second pitch clock. Uh, MLB's kind of experimented with this somewhat, but nothing official. So uh, I, I I think that this is one where it would get a little complicated when you have runners on base, but at least when there's no one on, I think twenty second seems fairly reasonable. 20 seconds is pretty reasonable and I'm I'm for the pitch clock like whenever I watch a baseball game whether it's live or on TV I think out of all the you know stupid baseball things that have gone on throughout the years the one that drives me nuts is when a pitcher is like about to throw his pitch right and he's looking at the catcher he's waving off signs and then all of a sudden he has to call a timeout and then regroup him, you know, regather himself. It's just like, dude, just throw, pick a pitch and throw the ball. Like, you know, it's not that important. I mean, unless if it's game seven of the World Series in the ninth inning or whatever, but like, yeah. just just pick a pitch and throw it. I, I It happens all the time where the pitcher waves off his sign and then he 
gets off the rubber, and all of a sudden the catcher goes to the mound, talks it over again, like, oh, which pitch do you want to throw? Like, come on, just pick one already. Yeah, so I, I agree. Um, I think that when you have guys on base, you got to allow a little bit extra time just in terms of pickoffs and stuff, and there, there's a lot more that goes to it. But if there's no one on, there's no reason you should be taking 45, 50 seconds between pitches. So no. next one, three batter minimum for pitchers. And this is one that I don't like. Basically takes away the lefty specialist, just being able to throw at a guy and have him just pitch to one batter and gets him out, and then you bring in a new guy. And I know that it can be frustrating for fans and it can elongate games, but I think you're taking away a huge strategy late in games if you, you require pitchers to face a minimum of three batters. I'm for it, yeah. I, I'll i take the other side on that. I... Uh... I know you like the lefty spe- specialist, like you just mentioned, but I do. I do want to see the pitchers go out there and you know face multiple batters. And you know when I was watching the playoff series with the Dodgers and whether it's Dodgers Brewers or Dodgers Red Sox, I just hated watching Dave Roberts just making change after change with all these lefty specialists and like going back and forth, like just having the lefty face one batter and then make a change and go to the commercial break. And I just like, just stick with it. Just stick with the, stick with the batter or stick with the pitcher for, you know, a few batters and see how it goes. I'm, I'm for it. It certainly slows down the game uh, at fan perspective of wanting to keep it moving. But I, I don't know. I think that's something you can maybe get used to, but I, I don't, I don't think that's a necessary one. And this is one that the player is certainly not a fan of. Um, just based on the reports that I've read, they're not a fan of any. <laughs> so they of well, rules. no, there are some like that the they fa- propose. Like the fa- that like- <laughs> that's one. Anything that has to do with timing and uh, speeding the game up is very much the the league interest, not the player interest. Yeah. So the next one, starting with a runner on second base after the tenth inning. So once we get to the eleventh inning, I love you. Love it. Oh, yeah. I know you do. Yeah, we've this. talked about yeah. this before. I hate I, it. I. I I, I have <laughs> no. I I love the your classic fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen inning games. You saw one in the World Series. That's awesome. Even though the Red Sox <laughs> lost, I I just think every I now and then just, that entire thing. The novelty. I watched is, that entire thing. So I was fun. up till four in the morning watching. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it. I love yeah. it. Maybe maybe in the postseason, I don't know, but in the regular season, I'm all for it. Like in the NHL, they for their overtime, they've gone to from not only five on five for five minutes, but they've gone now from four on four to now three on three with five minutes. It's like, you gotta, you gotta have an ending at some point. Like, like, so I'm all, I'm all for it. You know, when the game's tied after nine innings of baseball, like we have to end the game at some point. So put a runner on it. Sec- maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe not second, but maybe f- just put someone on, make, make the game end quicker. I'm, I'm so much more impatient than you when it comes to like this the pace of yeah. baseball now. Like, yeah, it's just so it takes so long for these games to end now. I think this is a softball rule, um, and they're they're yeah. The it is. plan is that they're going <laughs> exactly. to yeah they're going to implement it in spring training, I believe, and they're going to say that all games end tenth uh, inning is the latest, but that they're going to start with a runner on second base on the tenth, and the idea is that in the the regular season it would be in the eleventh. I, I I don't know I. 
I will learn. I'm anything that speeds up the game, just even a little bit. I'm for it. Like I've heard even people talk about three balls, two like ball three, take your base. Like that one, I, I won't go that far. But Give me fifteen inning games. Game. I love it. I need those. Yeah, yeah. And that that also goes with universal DH. You know, if you're gonna have games yeah. go that long, don't don't have to constantly have have pinch hitters you're the pitchers, it was so. it was so it was so frustrating to see that red sox dodgers game three eight inning game where um you have a guy like in scoring position for the red sox and all of a sudden nathan avaldi comes up like as <laughs> awesome as he is it's like he well he can't do anything offensively yeah. so of course he's gonna strike out and then the, the inning is over on a ground out or a pop out and like yeah and the game just took forever so so yeah yeah, and that that that's anything, one that I think is anything. is realistic to to see that one implemented. Um, so the next one, uh, a single trade deadline before the All Star break. Single trade deadline, I'm I'm totally okay with. I've always thought it was kind of weird that the MLB has a trade deadline on July 31st, but then the entire month of August, players are still traded because they have the oh, that's just the non waiver trade deadline. You can still move guys via trade when you designate them for assignment through the end of August. Uh, in terms of the before the all-star break i personally would rather have it after i don't know the reason to move it before that's something the nba did and i i i'm personally not a fan of that i don't know what your your thoughts are on the the single trade i don't have much of a i don't have much of a take on whether it should be before or after the all-star break but i do love that just the one trade deadline i do love that i mean when the nba trade deadline well it actually happened just days ago but when whenever an NBA trade deadline approaches, like there's so much drama mm-hmm. that happens, like whether the guy gets moved or not, and like for baseball to have a oh it's the non waiver yeah, trade it's, deadline, it's like very oh so different. so something could still happen, like great. So I mean, like do I really care about the deadline or not? Yep. Like no, yep. I mean, I mean of course it's not gonna you know beat out the NBA in terms of drama. Like nothing will when it comes to NBA. Uh, you know moves or free agency or trades mm-hmm. but like i wish i'm i just want there to be a little bit more drama in baseball so i'm i'm for this yes i'm for literally anything <laughs> anything that's listed here yeah I'm for <laughs> okay well so actually let's do the next two together so we got expanding the rosters to 26 players and with it we'd have a 12 pitcher maximum but reducing September rosters to 28 players. So during most of the season, we're going from 25 to 26, and then during September from 40 to 28. So I like the idea of adding another player for most of the season. 40 to 28 seems a lot, though. Uh, maybe maybe still keeping the 40-man 40 roster. 40 But yeah, I don't know. I, I do think 40 players is a lot to have active on a team. Maybe that that's reasonable to kind of... Mm-hmm maybe just have 28 30 active players whatever but that, that seems like a an interesting change and I, I don't see them dropping from 40 to 28 overnight yeah so i'm for the expanded uh rosters from 26 but also the the biggest the one i really like is the 12 pitcher maximum um we, you know we just talked about the lefty specialist i'm <laughs> i'm just enough with the specialists like I, just I, I want more offense yeah and um or offensive players uh, on the bench especially with all the pinch hitting that takes place but uh the reducing the 40 to 20 this is the only one that i don't really have much of, of an opinion on i mean like maybe i do agree that maybe 40 is a little too much but oh, wow 40 to 28 yeah it just yeah, it feels just go feels from crazy go from 40 to 35 or 30 yeah. like yeah 
or 32 whatever yeah 28 i mean like i mean what's the diff what's the really the difference <laughs> of just adding a couple more guys uh-huh. i mean so yeah so basically my opinion is 28 maybe maybe not enough but 40 may be too much so something in between i'm good with. yeah so we'll see about that one i think that was a player right both of those are players um and then the last one draft advantages for winning teams and penalties for losing teams so I think this is specifically supposed to apply to small market teams as an incentive to get them to spend money. And I like the idea of draft advantages for winning teams, but come on, penalties for losing teams. The Orioles didn't try to lose 115 games last year. Like It just seems seems kind of silly that you're going to penalize teams for not doing well when it comes to draft positions. I, I, I get it only because throughout the years, especially with Houston and Chicago, drafting at you know the very top of the draft getting guys like Bregman or Chris Bryant I mean now that now both the teams are stacked uh so maybe I get it in that sense but I don't know the Orioles <laughs> they, they were just like really that yeah. bad. <laughs> like I mean I don't think they were purpose I mean of course they get rid of Machado but it's like he's literally the only player on that was on that team I mean their best player was like outside of him was probably Chris Davis, and he strikes it out like three hundred times a year. So like, I don't. <laughs> oh well. I think well, the that, Orioles. It's, see, they, they they tried to do well. They signed a lot of free agents. They were trying to put together a competitive team. It's not their fault that every single player on their twenty five man roster happened they, to like, have they the worst season everyone of his career at the same time. Team. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I actually don't. Yeah, for that specific team, I don't see like them per- other than getting rid of Machado I don't see them purposely lo- no. trying to lose these games like they just, they were just no. I think they were just as that. a Pirates fan <laughs> I guess it'd be kind of cool give them a little more incentive to spend money but the Pirates are they're still good enough to be a 500 team they're just not spending money to put them over the top and be a playoff team so I, from that it's it, I don't know I think this is more of an NBA issue because oh yeah I agree and in baseball the, the openly tanking. the draft is just so unpredictable that Picking at the top doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a even a major league player because you got to go through a lot in the minor leagues. I th- so, I think the be- biggest reason why this is being talked about is because, like, throughout the years, especially last year, there were so many teams that uh, were that actually were not really trying to win. I mean, the Kansas City Royals were just World Series champions a few years ago. Now they're, yeah, they're like the, one of the worst teams. Was... If you look at the win loss margins of like a lot of these teams like the Red Sox won like what 108 games and the, <laughs> the Yankees were 100 win wild card team yeah, and, the, and the Orioles the, lost 150 Orioles and Royals and so on were just yeah. like pitiful I mean I think the win loss records and you know the attendance in some of these stadiums are a big part of reasons why uh I think this rule was you know brought yeah brought yeah up. and it's it you don't especially with all these guys who are still remaining free agents they want teams to spend money on players so we'll see uh definitely interesting i don't know how many of these rules will go into effect i don't know when but uh at least shows that baseball owners and players are committed to trying to change the game and make it more appealing to fans going forward so now let's move on we have embrace debate and it's a little bit of a sensitive topic, but it's one that we're we're willing to take on. So on February 11th, the Cleveland Browns announced the signing of running back Kareem Hunt to a one-year deal just a couple months after he was released by the Kansas City Chiefs and placed on the commissioner's exempt list after a video surfaced of him shoving and kicking a woman last February in Cleveland. 
Is this a good move or a bad move for the resurgent Browns? So I don't know if it's good for the Browns in particular because they have they already have Nick Chubb uh, already on their roster and he looks like he's going to be a great player. And they already have Duke Johnson as their third down running back. So I don't know how he fits into their team, but you know I'm for him getting another chance in the league. I mean, yes, what he did was no for sure was was bad and. Uh, but I think I'm sure there are hundreds of other players in the league that have done, you know, similar or even worse things, uh, than what Kareem Hunt did. It's just that it's unfortunate that his was caught on video. And, uh, because of that, like he had to, you know, he had to be released from Kansas city. And so I'm, I'm for him getting a second chance. Like I'm for just anyone in the league getting second chances, but I'm, I'm not for like, Josh Gordon, where it was like his seventeenth chance when he got draft or when he got traded by the to the Patriots, uh, and then you know failed another drug test. But for you know, I'm for second chances. That's all I'm saying. So he knew Hunt was going to end up on another team. He's he was too talented yeah. to if to just never play again. Right. But you don't have the right to play in the NFL. It is a privilege. That is. There, there, there is nothing to say that Kareem Hunt needs to be on an NFL team this year or really ever again. And from a moral perspective, there are a lot of people and there are a lot of teams who would never want him on their team. And to me, in terms of from a personnel perspective, I think it's a good move for the Browns. It's a little interesting because, they, like you said, they do have Nick Chubb. But, hey, this is a low-risk reward. You can maybe end up with one of the best backs in the league and have an outstanding one-two combo with Chubb and Hunt moving Maybe you forward. could have the a one-two punch like the like what New Orleans has with like Ingram and Kamara. Yeah, exactly. Well. Like the, There's, there's a, a lot of uh, good things from that perspective. Now, there's, to me... It's a bad move in terms of there's still an in ongoing investigation. This happened two months ago. Why does he need to be signed on February 11th? Why does he immediately need to be given a job this quickly? And I, I agree in terms of thinking that guys need or deserve second chances. But, you know, everyone just I, I don't think as if you're a Browns fan, I don't think your reaction should be, oh, Cleveland, we just got Kareem Hunt. Oh, Browns are back, baby. AFC North champs. Like the, It just seems like a, a weird, weird timing, like move to bring him it's, in. It's weird timing and weird move. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's just one of those. So he could end up being suspended for three games. He can end up being suspended for 10 games. Cleveland seems like they're banking on, oh, he's just going to be suspended for a couple. He's going to be well-rested, refreshed. He's going to come I out think, and yeah, he's going to do I, his I think uh, it'll be longer than two games. Yeah, I, oh, I think for, he's going to be he did. more than half I mean, Ray season. Rice got two games and then the video yeah, came out. Well, so the thing with, and then his career with Hunt is the NFL is going to be under pressure to suspend him for a while and put down a serious punishment on him. And when it comes out on video, it's a whole different story. And a lot of the issue with him was that he lied to the Chiefs. He said, hey, this is what happened, and that's not really what happened. And the video proved that, which is why they, they released him. That was, that was the biggest part of it. With, it I, it's just, 
I do not like the Browns as a Steelers fan. And to me, this, this just gives me another reason to dislike them. I hate <laughs> Joe Mixon. And it's it's so much easier to dislike some of the stuff when you actually see it on video versus just the, the allegations and the accusations that come out. And you look at Ezekiel Elliott. He was never charged with anything. He was suspended for six games. You can say, oh, he wasn't charged with anything. Why is he suspended? And at the same time, it's kind of like, eh, no, he deserved to have some punishment. He was accused of beating up his ex-girlfriend. This, this Domestic violence is a serious thing, and it needs to be knowledge and it needs to be punished and these guys they're they're lucky to be able to keep playing in the nfl after this i i don't see this not working out for the browns like realistically (laughs) they got they get one of the best running backs in the league and Mm -hmm. they're gonna find a way to make this work and he's probably going to have some success there and if it doesn't work out they sign him a one-year deal he's gonna be a restricted free agent if a team offers him a contract they can match anything I, I I don't know. I, I just, and there's also John Dorsey coming out. Hey, we're going to hold this guy accountable. We're going to, you know, make sure that this, this is a, where he's going to be a better person. How are you going to do that? Are you actually going to go out and have him maybe hold his hand in the counseling community? or whatever? Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, is he going to, what's he going to be doing on game days? Is he just going to be sitting at home on his couch or is he going to be out in the community? Is he going to be working, working with people? Is he, he's going to be going to the counseling. He's going to be, just doing things to show that, hey, he made a mistake. He's he's not really a bad guy. And that that's kind of where the second chances thing comes from. But signing him on February 11th when he was cut on November 30th when that video came out, it just it seems early. And I don't know how many teams I, are looking at the situation saying, ah, I wish we picked him up versus, oh, wow, what did Dorsey just do? I mean, I mean when, uh, when he went through waivers, not one team even considered – um, you know, claiming him. I mean, maybe no, and it makes there sense, were reports. There was no chance he was going to play the rest of the season, right? Yeah, like there were reports that the Redskins were thinking about getting him because they got. I, I think it was the Redskins, Ruben right? Foster. That got Ruben Foster. I, I don't yeah. know. If, I think there were jokes about it. I don't oh, know okay. if there's maybe, anything maybe there serious. Reports or just jokes. Okay. No, there was there was no way he was going to get picked up by a team uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the, the season just because yeah, there was just so much uncertainty. There's still uncertainty. The, we don't know how long he's going to be suspended for, and it, I. I, I, I guess I the reason why I'm just open to it is because there, there are players. There's so many players throughout the league that have done oh, they're similar right. things. There's just yeah, so many they, players they don't that have done the same. Yeah. Yep. And they another thing the is thing and... another thing is he's young. It's, he's in his what third year in the league. He's one of the best running backs in the league, and um, and talent is a big part of that. Like why he's getting mm-hmm. another chance because. You know, did Ray Rice get another chance? Like, no, like he never no, he, played again. He fell was, off the talent, and that, had, that's what it, he had like yeah. three and a half yards per carry in his last year with Baltimore. So, like, no, and that, I mean that's, like that's just thirty years old. The, so, yeah, the NFL saying, "Hey, you can do these horrible things off the field as long as you're talented and can still contribute and help mm-hmm. us make money." And that's that's what this this is. That's kind of what they're showing, but. Uh, I, I don't know. It just seems seems weird to me that he's already been given this job, and it, it was kind of known that he would go somewhere. And he's going to one of my rival teams, and he's from Cleveland, so I don't know how it's gonna work out. He was also committed his uh, crime in Cleveland or whatever. You, it, I don't know if that's it wasn't somewhere criminal in Ohio, charges, right? but yeah, he, no, he's in Cleveland. I, I I don't know how you wanted to find what he did, but yeah, shoving right. and kicking a woman. To, so yeah. So to, me, to go to go off topic a little bit, pers- yeah. To, to go off topic a little bit, um, I just know that every single 
football, quote-unquote football analysts, they're just going to pick the Browns as their, like, sleeper pick for the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Especially Everyone's with a gonna move say like they're going to win the division. Yeah. <laughs> After going 7-8-1. Yeah. and I think it was 7-8-1. and 7-8-1, and yeah. <laughs> so... Like, you just I know, know everyone's... Everyone's a hot take is going to be yeah. like Browns are making the playoffs. It's, it's now. not even yeah. going to be a hot take anymore. Yeah. That's why everyone's trying to say it now before it becomes a the, the real. Thing. It come, becomes too popular of an opinion, and then all of a sudden they go back to winning like three games. Yeah. So yeah, from a football perspective, good move for the Browns. From the the PR morality perspective, it's it's definitely questionable. But let's move on to our next segment, and that is Wiki Geeks. So we're going to be talking about the Alliance of American Football kicked off this weekend. It's a inaugural season. So we're going to learn a little more about the league by reading the Wikipedia article. So we have that pulled up. And uh, I guess just kind of starting from the top here as we, we kind of look at what the league is. So it has eight teams and they're all southern except for Salt Lake City. So uh, anyone up north doesn't get the benefit of getting to watch these teams play. So they got locations in Atlanta, Birmingham, Memphis, Orlando, Arizona, Salt Lake, San Antonio, and San Diego. And the league was founded by Charlie Ebersol, who uh, is a a film film TV producer. He's uh, considered one of the more powerful people in media and the son of Dick Ebersol. And uh, Bill Polian, so the the former former chairman of the Colts, he was GM of the Bills back in the '90s when they made the Super Bowl four years in a row, as well as the Carolina Panthers when they first became a franchise. So started play Saturday, February 9th, uh, four games over the weekend. So moving on a little bit, so Charlie Ebersol was actually inspired to create this league after making the This Was the NFL ESPN 30 for 30 documentary. Did you watch that? Uh, what was it again? The 30 for the, 30? Yeah, 30 for 30, This Was the XFL. No, I've never seen that particular one. No. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. It's uh, I love thirty for thirties. Uh, I never. I do. Yeah, never I do saw love the thirty XFL one. But... I do love the thirty for thirty films. Like I think my favorite one's the the Celtics Lakers. You know, Larry Bird Magic Magic Johnson rivalry. But uh, that one I've not seen. No. Yeah, there's a lot of good ones. Uh, but yeah, I, I also kind of think it's interesting because so this is basically formed around the same time that Vince McMahon was revitalizing the XFL and the XFL came out we're like oh XFL 2020 and then AFF is like AFF or AAF 2019 so uh, this league kind of stole their spotlight and um, Troy Polamalu I guess was involved somehow in in overseeing this league that's kind of cool uh, they also have Heinz Ward, so two two Steelers legends, and looks like Mike Pereira is involved as well. So you got some some interesting like former NFL players that are helping make this thing happen. So April seventh, twenty eighteen, Orlando they were the first team. They are now to be coached by Steve Spurrier, the head ball coach, former Gamecock coach as well as Florida Gators, uh, Heisman Trophy winner. So, And Mike yeah, Singletary uh, is also a coach. Uh, yes, yeah, Mike again. Singletary is another coach, yep. So 
So yeah, as we said, the the season just started in uh, last weekend. So I, I don't get. I, I watched a little bit of the games, mostly highlights and some bad quarterback play. There was, some, was a little bit of entertainment, but I uh, why well, did love? I, I I'm not gonna lie, I, I didn't watch any of it, but I did watch highlights <laughs> and wow, that hit on. I don't know who the quarterback was, but the. I'm sure it's all over YouTube, but the quarterback who got smashed by the defender and his helmet came off like was probably a, yeah. I mean, I'm I, I'm sure I hope he's okay, but at the same time, like I love, I'm just like like a lot of football fans. Like I want to see. Sometimes I just want to see the violent hits. Yeah, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how that kind of works out long term because a lot of the fans they they really want to see that but at the same time you know all the the concussion stuff coming out so it's it's kind of the a, players must a mixed know bag. that like yeah. they're what they're getting into if by going into this league that the player safety sure. is not as strong as it is in the NFL. Yeah. Oh yeah. But at the same time these are guys who are trying to a lot of them get you know try to get a job into in the NFL. Into, yeah. yeah. So yep. So yeah, so I, another thing, the games are pretty quick. So I think the they took about two and a half hours, whereas NFL games take more than three. So some of the ways that they do that, I guess, is no TV timeouts and sixty percent fewer full screen commercials. I think baseball so should uh, bring cool. up this rule as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I've all, <laughs> after all the things that I want quicker, like yeah, none of that you know, TV timeout crap, like after a pitch yeah. and, you know, show, you know, showing flow, like selling car insurance. Like I, like I, that those things drive me nuts. Like and they're in every sport now, like those TV, those random yeah. TV timeouts after like, in, in, you know, an icing in the NHL or, you know, a random like huddle in football or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, you know, pep talk in baseball, like they're, they're in every sport now. And I, I it drives me nuts. So yeah. I'm all for this. <laughs> yeah. So in uh, another rule, instead of extra points, there there's none. They everyone has to go for two, which is interesting. That they still make them worth two points mm-hmm. because of that point. It's like what what's the point of it being worth? What's the, yeah. Two what's the points, point of worrying it being <laughs> it worth being yeah, two? If, if like the only thing you <laughs> yeah. can do. Yeah. But, I don't, I don't yeah, know. So that's, I don't, that's interesting. That I'm not a fan because I actually love that in the NFL. The, they have the extra point now, like thirty something yards, where the extra point means something, or it it makes it yeah. interesting. I I actually love that. Like, I hate that it was, used to be this, you know, this wimpy nineteen yard field goal right down the middle. Like I actually love that it's a little bit interesting now, and that the it makes it a worthwhile yeah, play. Exactly. Yeah. It's, they they miss sometimes. So yeah. Um. So defenses are forbidden from advancing more than five players on or across the line of scrimmage and no defensive player can cross the line of scrimmage from more than two yards outside the offensive tackles wow so d4 so, yeah, would the not legal defense is a thing yeah so d4 would not last long in the, that league okay. <laughs> so i think uh, so this is basically saying that you can't blitz from like an outside cornerback position uh, and it's actually a 15-yard penalty for illegal defense. This is an interesting one. I think uh, one thing I saw from fans was that this was being called and no one really understood it because that's not a thing you have in the NFL. No, yeah. Um, um, that one's interesting. I'm surprised if – well, first of all, like I wonder why that is that is a rule in the in the AFF, AAF. I don't know why. I mean, like especially if they're not like um, – 
you know, as strong as the NFL when it comes to the player safety. I mean, I feel like that's something the NFL would do to get out, you know, to take out the, you know, big hits, you know, against the quarterback, especially from the blind side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, also, another it, rule I see here um, that there's no kickoffs also. Like, yeah. They don't even have yeah, kickoffs anymore. Like, they just go straight yeah. to the, you know, the, 25 next, yard the next possession for the other team. And that one, yep. I mean, I know kickoffs in the NFL have not really been a thing uh, for past years, but I, st- I still like seeing the kickoff happen, even if it's not as exciting as it used to be. Uh, yeah, I, I I think it would be kind of weird to get rid of it at first, but I'm totally for it because kickoff return touchdowns, just they don't really happen. And I get that they're exciting, but everyone has this, this idea and there's what like one every few weeks maybe so i i would be okay like if guess you're just gonna kick the ball it, it does make either sense. It, yeah through the end zone every play or you're gonna have teams you know, kick it off down to like the two yard line or returners are gonna be dumb and take it out and they're gonna start at the 15 just put them at the 25 i like this rule it, it also um, is known to be like one of the most dangerous plays out of all oh plays yeah i mean that happened in the nfl so yeah that's that's the biggest reason why a lot of the the health health problems with um brain injuries are caused see the, like, the, the well. no, another thing to bring up though that if they were to take i, I know this is getting off topic because a little <laughs> bit because because we're talking about the the alliance of american football but if they were to take the kickoff away in the nfl like that i feel like that would uh, lose there wouldn't be as many jobs for these special teams players i mean true uh, you're right that, i mean that that does take away some of the roster so mm-hmm. Um, that is a good point. Even though you would still have punts, but yeah, kickoffs. Yeah, the, it would be just so. be punts. Like if yeah, they even that, that's almost going away with right. the offenses these days. Uh, but yeah, so another thing I like this instead of an onside kick. So if a, a team is trailing by seventeen or more points, or if there's five or few minutes remaining in regulation, uh, they can attempt an onside kick by uh running a scrimmage play from their own 28 yard line and gaining at least 12 yards and you get the ball back which doesn't seem like a very difficult feat but i i do like the the concept of this uh, because right now the nfl onside kick rules are horrible so <laughs> that one sounds interesting i mean yeah i don't know if it, i don't think it would be as I don't know if it's as exciting. I mean, not that like the onside kick is, I mean, outside of that Seahawks Packers one where uh, the, I think it was Brian Bostic was his name or whoever it was that blew it yeah. on Green Bay. Like Outside of that one, there haven't been like that many uh, on- exciting onside kick, you know, turnarounds that help the other team win. So. No, I think there are only like four onside kicks recovered all of this season. It's, it's a, impossible with the new rules so i like the idea of that uh, i think and, I, I think if i were to change the rule like make it a little bit easier for the other team to recover the ball but still have the onside kick yeah so i think the, the, there's a few other rules in here but one interesting one uh just the remaining ones so i'm looking at another tied one, at the uh, end of what? i see that a pl- players can't spike the ball into the stands following yeah, the touchdown. Yeah, so Gronk, an- another player. So that's the only thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only touchdown celebration that's uh, not generally tolerated, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but yeah, so for the, the the overtime rules, so if it's tied at the end of regulation, each team will begin on their opponent's 10-yard line and be given one possession to score. So you just get four downs from the 10, no field goals. So you got to score a touchdown. And uh, if the score remains tied after each team has been given their possession, the game ends in a tie. And in the postseason, those 
overtime periods keep going until there's a winner. Uh, so it sounds similar to college rules, except instead of giving them a first and 10 at 25, they're just given a first and goal at the 10, and they can't kick a field goal. So interesting. I don't think the NFL is going to adopt that overtime rule for a little while, though. Um, I know you not, complain about playoff overtime rules, but yeah, uh, to me, I, it's I, not it's not going to be a college football-esque rule like that. I've thought more opinion. about that overtime rule in the NFL, and you know, I know I've said I've been against it, but at the same time, like maybe it is the best way to like do overtime because let's say you were to give both teams a chance. I mean, like these guys, these guys are human. Like uh, playing over four quarters of football in a day mm-hmm. like, is already like you know enough stress to their bodies so maybe like if you're like if you're for uh prolonging the game with like you know giving both teams a chance i mean maybe you're not you know for player safety then like because these guys like Mm -hmm. for them to play that many minutes um in a game maybe yeah you know just first touchdown wins like maybe that is the best solution so um, even I wish both teams got a chance because given, especially given the fact that a lot of the defenses are not as good at stopping offenses nowadays. Um, but you know, it's probably the best way to do it. Yeah. So what we'll see, I think the idea is that maybe the AAF could be an experimental league for the NFL and that they'll, <laughs> they'll adopt some of these rules kind of like how the ABA uh, had a few of their rules taken by the NBA after the merger. So we'll see how that one works out. Um, just to, uh, one more, one what? more thing I'd like to bring up. Uh, when I was watching highlights of the AAF, the AAF, I noticed that there was a replay. You know, looking at a call, and you could hear. I don't know if it was the ref or someone in the booth, or in another city, or whoever was like looking at the replay. You could hear them talking like while you know you know discussing the play while um they were looking at every angle and you could say oh maybe the ball was dropped here or maybe they did have two hands on it or did have possession at this angle and it would be interesting to see if whether the nfl could ever implement that and so just kind of like letting fans know what's what's going on get fans more info on what's going on instead of just taking the bathroom break or whatever like yeah yeah five ten minute replay that's interesting (laughs) I, I didn't realize that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious what the thought is on that one. Um, yeah, so I guess just uh, looking through it, a, a couple last things to point out. So it's CBS Sports is the the main broadcast partner. They also have games on NFL Network. And the, the first two games are actually on legitimate CBS. So I think that definitely helped with viewership because it had more viewers than the uh, Houston Rockets Oklahoma City Thunder game on ABC. So it tells you that even this minor league football league is still uh, more interesting to fans than uh, another league. It, it like tells you that people are addicted to football. Yeah, okay. yeah, and you got even just just uh, one week without football was was long enough for for fans to want to check this out. So when you look at the highlights of all the games that took place you could see in the comments section like oh this is way better than the super that boring ass super bowl (laughs) that we just had to watch (laughs) yeah yeah so all right uh i guess that that's it for um the aaf on wikipedia so we'll we'll see how it does going forward i don't know how much i'm going to watch it but i'm at least going to be intrigued and uh could be kind of fun for for these next few months 
So let's move on to uh, wrap up the show. We got our top five, and we have Valentine's Day coming up in a couple days. So Brian suggested that we do our favorite romantic movies. So we got, it could be a romantic comedy, just uh, any kind of love story. So let's talk about our favorite romantic movies in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. So as I said, Brian suggested this one. So I'll lead us off. And my number five is For Love of the Game which is uh, a Kevin Costner baseball movie. He has a few of those. And this one, he plays a pitcher for the Detroit Tigers named Billy Chappell. Uh, he's nearing the end of his career, and he his team isn't very good. He's facing the Yankees at Yankee Stadium, and he's pitching a perfect game. And the entire time to basically distract him from his performance, he's looking back on his long relationship with his girlfriend who is set to take a job in London and effectively end their, their relationship. So just, you got the love story taking the pause from the game to, to look back on that, that relationship and how it's developed. And at the same time you get the baseball aspect. So I'm a big fan of that part. Um, so Brian, we're going to do I the, did see that movie. Yeah. yeah so we're going to do the alternating I, thing. I'm, I'm not. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause it's uh, the two of us. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, so for my number five, um, which is also your number four. So I guess, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, we can both talk about it. I went with, uh, the silver linings playbook. I actually watched this a few days ago. For the first uh, time? Start. Yeah, for the first time, really? so okay. I just felt like I had to bring it up. Uh, and Ben, if you are listening, the the fact that Corey and I both have this movie uh, as you know one of our top five uh, favorite uh, romantic movies, you could probably talk about it on Affable Chat as a recommendation. That would be um, a good one. Yeah. Uh, I was going to recommend uh, Whiplash, but he actually literally just did that episode. <laughs> um, so for Silver Lang's playbook, uh, it stars Bradley Cooper and uh, Jennifer Lawrence. And uh, Bradley Cooper is the, he plays a mental, mentally, uh, you know, challenge, or not mentally challenged, but he, he has mental issues. Um, yeah, mental health issues. Mental health issues because of a past incident where uh, he entered his home um, and he noticed the, the song that him and his wife had uh, when they got married. Uh, and he noticed it playing in the house. And then all of a sudden, when he entered the bathroom, he saw his wife having an affair with another man and he nearly beat the guy to death. And so he was in. A facility for for a pretty long time and then to get his life back on track he lived with his parents and another thing is jennifer lawrence in this movie had another similar issue where she had mental health issues because her husband passed away and the two of them really connected throughout the movie and uh jennifer lawrence uh has a promise uh to give the uh, a letter um that bradley cooper Cooper's character wanted sent to his wife because his wife had a restraining order uh, on him. Jennifer Lawrence um, said that if, if I do this for you, you have to help me 
uh, take part in this dance competition. And the chemistry of the two of them in that movie, uh, I thought was, was great. And I would re- recommend it to anyone who is, you know, a fan of romantic movies or even romantic comedies, because there were some laughs throughout the movie, or is just a fan of Bradley Cooper or uh, Jennifer Lawrence as well. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much covered it. It's my number four. I love Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. So big fan of that movie. Another movie, I mean, I don't have in my top five, uh, but I also liked another Jennifer Lawrence movie. It was called Passengers, uh, starring Chris Pratt, uh, where the two of them, they're on the spaceship that's traveling to this another planet um, 100 years into the future, and both of them are awake, and they need to save the ship for them to make it to this other planet. So, oh, and yeah, so because that was your number four, um, I will go with my number four as well. So I went with Big. Um, so the movie stars Tom Hanks and the movie starts out with him as a kid and um, he's at this amusement park uh, and he sees this arcade where he can make a wish and it'll come true and he wishes that he could be older and the wish actually ends up coming true. And so he has to live his life as you know, any regular working adult and he works at this, uh, like this toy business where uh, he creates all these ideas on like, you know, what to build. And, uh, and then he ends up meeting his best friend, like as a kid and who finds out that he's grown into this adult. And um, in the movie, he uh, falls in love with one of the uh, co-workers at the office and, it's it's one of my favorite Tom Hanks movies. I wouldn't rank it ahead of Toy Story or Saving Private Ryan or Forrest Gump, but uh, any anyone who's a fan of Tom Hanks, I would recommend this movie as well. I've actually never heard of that movie. That's an interesting one. Might have to check that out. Yeah. So my number three is a romantic comedy for getting Sarah Marshall. So you got a, a pretty solid cast with Jason Siegel, Mila Kunis, Kristen Bell, and Russell Brand. Just a, a all-around entertaining movie. Basically, you got Kristen Bell plays Sarah Marshall, who's this famous actress, and her boyfriend, Jason Siegel, uh, and she she breaks up with him, and they wind up going on this uh, Hawaiian vacation with their their new. Uh, well, she's with her new boyfriend who's played by Russell Brand, and he meets Mila Kunis's character. There's just this whole dynamic there uh, and his his goal to forget Sarah Marshall, but it's difficult for him to do when she is not leaving his life on this trip. So uh, definitely one of one of my my favorite romantic comedy movies. So that's my number three. Fun fact, uh, Jordan Spieth, uh, who won the 2015 Masters, uh, you know, during the breaks of when his rounds were finished, he he would go back to his room and act and uh, watch the movies like before his rounds, and and it was uh, a big part of actually. Uh, well, I'm not sure. Really, I don't think it helped his golf game, of course, but um, it was a big part of uh, uh, what he talked about during the press conferences when he won his first Masters tournament. Really? Yeah, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. And he's talked about how it's like one of his favorite movies. Uh, so for my number three, I went with Groundhog Day. Uh, Groundhog Day stars uh, Bill Bill Murray. 
and uh, Bill Murray is he plays a news broadcaster, uh, uh, and one day uh, he wakes up where it's the same day every single day. Uh, so he and throughout the movie he you know he's losing his mind of course because every single time it's uh, it's the exact same day and um, I remember I brought this up as what we as a top five topic on like five things we could top five things we could do if we had to live the same day every day. And I, I do love the concept throughout the movie. Uh, and there have been times where in the movie he's, uh, he'll literally, he, he was willing to do anything where he, he took a car and uh, he drove it on the train track and got arrested and, went to jail and woke up the next day uh, back in the same bedroom and like it never even happened. Even, uh, even there were even days where he would try to um, find true love with uh, one of his coworkers who worked for the news company. And so I, it's one of my favorite, it's probably, it's, it's actually my favorite Bill Murray movie. And I love the concept um, that yeah, a, that's brought out in the movie. Groundhog Day is a movie that I have never seen, but I, I, I've heard so much about just the the premise of the idea of him reliving his day over and over again. So my, my number two is fever pitch. And that is a romantic somewhat of a comedy um, starring Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore. So Jimmy Fallon plays a guy who is a diehard Boston Red Sox fan. And he meets Drew Barrymore's character, who play. She's a um, a very successful uh, businesswoman who is really trying to further her career and get a big promotion. So Jimmy Fallon's a school teacher, and they meet right at the end of the 2003 baseball season so you get the entire winter of them falling in love with each other but then as red sox season rolls around again in april uh, jimmy fallon's character ben has to kind of deal with the balancing the love of his his new girlfriend and the love of his red sox Uh, and this is a movie i watch it every year before the start of baseball season get me excited for the red sox because it's about the 2004 red sox they're one of my favorite teams it was that was the team that broke the 86 year curse and honestly the only reason why i didn't put this as my number one is because i know i would not enjoy the movie nearly as much if jimmy fallon was a a cubs fan or a, a indian i thought fan he, i thought or i thought he was fan a really any other team he's a Yankees fan in real life but like if he if this yeah. wasn't about the Red Sox, especially the 2004 Red Sox, I would not love this movie nearly as much as I do. Um, so that's why it's my <laughs> number two. But it's it's a it's a classic for me. You got to watch it every single year. No, like I I agree when uh you know in terms of like the 2004 Red Sox. I mean, as a Boston sports fan, like people ask like, oh, what what is your favorite all time Boston team? It's really the the question really is like, what is your favorite all time Boston team? Not name the 2004 Red Sox. Cause that is the all time, like, like, you know, favorite, one of my all time favorite teams along with what you said. Mm-hmm. It, it's an unfor- it was an unforgettable season for sure. Uh, so for my number two, I went with wedding crashers. It's one of my favorite movies along with what my number one will be. Uh, wedding crashers stars Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn. Uh, two bachelors who, of course, love to crash weddings and uh, sleep with girls. And 
after all the wedding crashing they did and partying that they did, um, Owen Wilson was getting, you know, a little bit tired of it. And, um, Vince Vaughn said, all right, well, you should do one more, uh, wedding. And it was for, uh, this massive wedding. I think it was for the, a secretary, uh, Christopher Walken plays. I'm not sure what he was politically, whether he was a governor or secretary or, or senator, but, uh, they went to this giant wedding and he ends up meeting, uh, this girl named Claire, who is played by Rachel McAdams, who is a terrific actress, and she was great in this role as well. And um, both of them uh, were—they ended up falling in love throughout the movie. And Vince Vaughn, he had this crazy hot, uh, you know, redhead girl that was going after him, and and they ended up st- spending the uh, weekend together at the the clear or the Cleary's place. And, um, and I, I do, I love the movie. It was one of my favorite romantic comedies for sure. I think it's a bit of a stretch to call wedding crashes a romantic comedy. And I guess I'll kind of let you get away with it because it's about <laughs> it's weddings. Mostly, it's it's a mostly a comedy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I, yeah, I there's know. a, there's a, there's even a scene where Owen Wilson and, um, Rachel McAdams characters, like they're on the beach and they're talking about what, what they want to do with their lives. And, yeah, there's a little bit of romance in it, I guess. It is a great movie, so I'm not going to hate on it too much. <laughs> so <laughs> my number one is Trainwreck, which is a romantic comedy starring Amy Schumer and Bill Hader. Uh, actually, this came out in 2015, so it's somewhat recent. And when this first came out, I loved Amy Schumer. Uh, I've definitely not been as big of a fan of her in recent years. I found her a lot lot more annoying. But this movie, uh, I was a little hesitant about it when I was first going in. But then I found out it had like over, over a 90% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, very, very popular movie. So I gave it a chance and I loved it. This movie made me like lebron james in a sense because he was he was funny he plays uh <laughs> bill Hader ends up being like he's a sports doctor his character and they end up being mm-hmm. um really good friends with lebron james uh, that is what puts it at my number one all right so for my number one i went with crazy stupid love uh it stars steve carell and ryan gosling uh and plenty of other, other stars as well including marissa tamai uh Julianne Moore uh, and Kevin Bacon and so on and uh, and Emma Stone and uh, in the beginning of the movie um, Steve Carell is on a he's on you know eating dinner with his wife and she ends up telling him that she wants a divorce and that she's been cheating on him and uh, after that after that uh, Steve Carell goes to the Steve Carell's character goes to the bar and he drinking drinks his sorrows away and even yells out oh my god david lindenhagen who's the character that sleeps with uh his wife in the beginning of the movie uh like david david lindenhagen like ruined my life and ryan gosling who plays a you know a bachelor you know who picks up all the girls at the bar notices him like in the, the entire weekend like yelling out uh the, the sad story of how he got his wife cheated on him. And then, so Ryan Gosling goes out of his way to, uh, you know, makes a mission to help, uh, Steve Corral's character, you know, to rediscover his youth and make him, make his wife regret that she, you know, thought of the idea of, uh, leaving him and cheating on him. And, 
uh, and Steve Carell learns Ryan Gosling's uh, character's ways of how to pick up girls. And uh, but not only that, uh, Ryan Gosling's uh, relationship with Emma Stone uh, and Steve Carell's uh, sons crush on his babysitter and the babysitter's crush on Steve Carell and there are so many plot twists in the movie and uh, so I make that as my number one choice with that that's all we have for you in this episode just Brian and I uh, I think we'll have Ben for the next one but we'll see we're probably going to take next week off but we'll get one to you uh, either late February or early March so with that, Brian, do you have anything you want to leave our listeners with? Honestly, no. <laughs> I have nothing else to say. Like, uh, I can't give the go Niners uh, thing that Ben always does. So, uh, so go Pats, I guess. <laughs> and go Red Sox and go everyone else. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>